Hello and welcome to the Archbishop's Corner. This is where we meet each week to talk with Hartford Archbishop Leonard Blair about faith, morals, the life of the church today, and how the gospel makes sense in an ever-changing world. This is where we go to find the answers to our lingering questions about the teachings of the church, living the faith life of a Catholic in contemporary society, and developing a stronger relationship with God. I'm Father John Gatzak with many questions that you and I will ask Archbishop Blair as he responds to what matters to you in the Archbishop's Corner. You'll never have a problem-free life, ever. You'll never drift off to sleep on the wings of this thought. My, today came and went with no problems in the world. This headline will never appear in the paper. We have only good news to report. You might be elected president of Russia. You might discover a way to email pizza and become a billionaire. You might be called out of the stands to pinch hit when your team is down to its final out-of-the-world series, hit a home run, and have your face appear on the cover of Sports Illustrated. It's not likely, but it's possible. But a problem-free, no-hassle, blue-sky existence of smooth sailing? Uh-uh. Don't hold your breath. Problems happen. They happen to rich people, sexy people, educated people, sophisticated people. They happen to retired people, single people, spiritual people, and secular people. But not all people see problems the same way. Some people are overcome by problems. Others overcome problems. Some people are left bitter. Others are left better. Some people face their challenges with fear. Others with faith. You don't have a choice about having problems, but you do have a choice about what you do with them. Choose faith. In the Archbishop's Corner is where Archbishop Blair offers advice that will help us choose faith in answer to the challenge of any problem. So thank you, Archbishop Blair, for inviting us into the Archbishop's Corner, where your invaluable advice encourages faith in answer to life's overwhelming problems. How are you? Fine. You're very kind to say it's invaluable advice. I hope it helps some people. Well, How invaluable I... it is remains to be seen. We will see. Together we will see. But let's start off on a light note, if you will. We'll get heavy enough soon enough, but on a light note, today is National Cereal Day. It's a day in celebration of America's most popular breakfast food. Cereal got its start back in the 1800s as an unappetizing and very difficult-to-digest health food. And it wasn't until 1939 when cereal would take on the sweetness that we are all familiar with. Do you have a favorite kind of cereal? Uh, like no, Cheerios? Not really. Just so long they're not sweet. I don't like the sweetened ones. Frosted Flakes? No. No. Well, after knowing you for like 50 years, I could say that you're kind of a Fruit Loops kind of guy, but that might be taken the wrong way, so I won't say that, okay? Well, I don't like Fruit Loops. <laughs> Neither do I. In any- Father, I can't believe that on the, th- the third Sunday of Lent, you're saying that it's National Cereal Day. So many people are struggling in the midst of this pandemic, Archbishop. I wanted to do something to make people laugh. Perhaps we didn't succeed, but it was an an attempt. That's a good reason. It was an attempt. Anyway, this Thursday marks one year since the World Health Organization declared a novel coronavirus a global pandemic. COVID-19 was first identified in 2019 in China, and in just one year, more than 500,000 Americans have died from this terrible virus. We've all been impacted by the pandemic, some more than others. We had one listener ask whether you thought this pandemic was sent by God to teach us a lesson. How do you respond to that, Archbishop? Well, I I think you put it in this context that our faith teaches us from Scripture and, and tradition that illness and death entered the world as a result of sin. That, you know, we we are created as immortal beings. We were not created to die. 
And yet because of uh, the misuse of human freedom, a willful uh, disobedience to the goodness and truth that come from God, sin and death and illness entered the world. So Jesus in his ministry uh, spent a great deal of time healing people uh, of physical illnesses as not for their own sake, but as a sign of who he was and what he had come to bring, uh, which is something far more than just healing a disease of the body. So it's part of the human condition. And ultimately, yes, uh, in the way that I've uh, tried to explain, it is the result of sin. But to say that it's a direct punishment for sin at this time, I don't think we, uh, we, would, we would necessarily say that. Uh, Jesus uh, showed great compassion for the sick and brought healing. We, we must also, in our own way, strive to overcome these illnesses using the God-given reason and talent we have. But equally, if not more importantly, uh, it is compassion and care for the sick and for the dying uh, that is our obligation as, uh, as believers. Do you have any words of comfort for those listeners having a particularly difficult time coping with the events of this past year? Well, yes, I think it, it uh, has created a strange new world for all of us, and I think it weighs on some people more than others for various reasons. But, you know, all of life has its terrific crosses. I mean, mm-hmm. COVID is a very dramatic one that's affecting us all simultaneously around the globe. Even in normal times without a pandemic, uh, people feel uh, experience their own uh, uh, pandemics, you know, of uh, sickness and death or of emotional stress all kinds of things like that. And uh, obviously we have to strive to have good mental health and to do the things that humanly speaking uh, make for a healthy uh, life, healthier life and a healthy response to life's trials and tribulations. But I dare say that those are woefully inadequate without the spiritual, uh, without our faith, without our the resources of faith and prayer and uh, active charity and the supports we receive from one another as members of a household of faith. Those are things that are, are even more important to my mind. So I would just encourage people, if you've not been particularly active or thoughtful or prayerful about your faith, now's the time to do it. Turn to Jesus, turn to, to, uh, to him uh, with your crosses and your problems, and, uh, and, and he will certainly not fail you. And couldn't we possibly say that it's the hand of God that has inspired the minds of the scientists and doctors that we, they have developed a vaccine in such a short time to help us cope with this pandemic? Well, God gave us the gift of a human brain uh, that makes us rational thinking creatures capable of intelligence and knowledge. And so obviously, in that sense, yes, everything uh, comes from God. And uh, I mean, who we are, what we are, all that we have, of course, we also know that that intelligence can be used for evil purposes, uh, for mm-hmm. misguided purposes in science or anything else. But it also can be used for good. And in this case, uh, we're grateful that we, we have that ability from God. On Saturday, we celebrate the eighth anniversary already of the election of Cardinal Jorge Bergoglio as the 266th head of the Roman Catholic Church. He was elected by a papal conclave after the resignation of Pope Benedict XVI. Pope Francis is the first pope chosen from the Americas and the first from the Southern Hemisphere, the first Jesuit. Is there anything that stands out for you as being distinctive regarding his pontificate, Archbishop? Yes, well, let me give a little theological nuance. You said he's the head of the Catholic Church. Well, he's the visible head because the only head of the church is Christ. But we talk about uh, the pope and the bishops uh, being vicars of Christ uh, and uh, you could say visible head. Mm -hmm. So... 
Well, I think the thing with uh, Pope Francis is that he has a very uh, challenging situation. I guess every pope does in his own way. I'm sure that every pope does. But, you know, today there's a great, um, how should we say, that I think the unity of the church uh, is facing a lot of stress. Um, you know, I think of some of the things going on in the church in Germany, for example, that are very troubling. I think of differences about solutions to problems and such, uh, not to mention uh, the global problems that the human race faces these days about a lot of things. You know, Pope Francis has been very attuned to the ecological threats, uh, which has to do with the stewardship that uh, we have uh, as believers uh, over God's creation. Uh, so, yes, I, I think he's got a very challenging uh, uh, role to fill. And uh, so it's important that we all pray for uh, the Pope, whoever he may be, at any given time, that God will give him the grace and strength uh, to uh, be a, a effective and good uh, shepherd of, of God's people. Speaking of the Pope, let's look at uh, happiness in life, and this is where we examine some of the wisdom of Pope Francis that's drawn from the Pope's writings or addresses, talks, and homilies. So I'll read a short portion of the Holy Father's address, and then we'll ask you, Archbishop, to comment with your own thoughts on what the Pope has said. This is taken from Pope Francis's message for Lent, delivered back in 2015, and is called, Are We Living Through the Globalization of Indifference? Pope Francis says, God is not indifferent. Each one of us has a place in his heart. He knows us by name. He cares for us and seeks us out, even if we turn away from him. He is interested in all of us. His love does not allow him to be indifferent to what happens to us. Usually, when we are healthy and feel comfortable, we forget about other people, which God the Father never does. We do not care about their problems, their pain, what injustices they endure. Our hearts lapse into indifference. As long as I am relatively comfortable, I forget about those less well-off. This selfish attitude has taken on global proportions, so much so that we can speak of a globalization of indifference. This is a problem that we as Christians must confront. Your thoughts, Archbishop? Yes, well, this harkens back for me to a very strong theme in the pontificate of Pope St. John Paul about solidarity. You know, the Pope was a great champion of that word, particularly because in his native Poland under communism, the movement for freedom was called in Polish solidarity. And human solidarity means that the hopes and joys and the fears and the sufferings of other people have to, in some way, be taken to heart by each one of us, that we can't be indifferent to the needs of others. And we can't try to create a beautiful, happy, fulfilled, and uh, comfortable life with total disregard for the fact that many other people are suffering. It's not just a matter of charity, although that's very important, you know, sharing what we have and contributing toward the needs of others, but it's also about striving to remedy some of these social ills and imbalances and injustices. In other words, being proactive, I guess, is the right word. Mm -hmm. So that's what all of us are called to do. You know, we, the Pope calls us to examine our conscience about what kind of world we're building, what kind of world we're contributing toward and whether we're part of the solution or part of the problem. And, and of course, those are themes that, that uh, loom large in the world today, and uh, I think we need to respond uh, appropriately uh, through faith and action. Let's take a look now at our Gospel reading on this third Sunday of Lent, the seventh day of March. Today's reading is from John's Gospel, the second chapter. And after the Gospel is dramatically presented, we'll talk with you and find out what you think in offering us some spiritual advice, Archbishop. The Passover of the Jews was at hand, 
And Jesus went up to Jerusalem. In the temple, he found those who were selling oxen and sheep and pigeons and the money changers at their business. Making a whip of horns, he drove them all with the sheep and oxen out of the temple. And he poured out the coins of the money changers and overturned their tables. And he told those who sold the pigeons, Take these things away. You shall not make my father's house a house of trade. His disciples remembered that it was written, Zeal for thy house will consume me. The Jews then said to him, What sign have you to show us for doing this? Destroy this temple, and in three days I will raise it up. It has taken 46 years to build this temple, and will you raise it up in three days? But Jesus spoke of the temple of his body. When therefore he was raised from the dead, his disciples remembered that he had said this, and they believed the scripture and the word which Jesus had spoken. Now, when he was in Jerusalem at the Passover feast, many believed in his name when they saw the signs which he did. But Jesus did not trust himself to them, because he knew all men and needed no one to bear witness of man, for he himself knew what was in man. On this third Sunday of Lent, what should we take from this gospel, Archbishop? Well, uh, this is, again, one of my uh, uh, favorite, and I won't say favorite themes, but a theme that I take very much to heart. You know, I've been watching uh, a lot of uh, Wheel of Fortune and Jeopardy after dinner with the mm -hmm. other priests in the house during these COVID times when we don't get out much. I never used to pay that much attention to those uh, shows, but I, I, for the time being, I do. And uh, when uh, Alex Trebek died, um, the uh, now the, the executive producer is hosting this week, and every day he's been saying uh, that Alex always said that we need to work for a kinder, gentler country. And together we can do this. We need to do this together. And I thought to myself, <clears throat> this is a very admirable, good thing. I don't have anything but praise to say for that uh, sentiment. On the other hand, if you look at it more deeply, I think today people often, as they more and more abandon a religion, uh, or at least any kind of religion that makes demands, that, that says, yes, there, there are things you must do, but there are also things you must avoid. I think today people think of a kinder, gentler um, uh, country as a place where there are no uh, prohibitions. And the reality is that for faith, it's about love, but it's also about truth. Love and truth go together. In other words, it's not just enough to talk about love, but you also have to know that true love uh, is inseparable from respecting the truth. Now, you may be thinking, what is he talking about? What does this have to do with the scene in the gospel today? Well, what I'm trying to get at is that we, and you know, I've said this before, we try to create a Jesus that is all about love. You know, the sweet Jesus. Yeah, yeah. Jesus said, I am the way and the truth and the life, and that the truth will set you free. And Jesus talked a lot about uh, the reality of the truth that he is and the commandments and the law, you know, the truth of love. And so today, here's this Jesus who's good and sweet and heals people, who makes a whip out of cords and drives people out of the temple, overturning tables and saying, get out of here. Jesus did not trust himself to these people because he knew them all. Mm. He understood them very well. This is also part of building a better world. 
you know, again, you've heard me say it many times, the old saying, the truth sets you free, but first it makes you miserable. The truth is what ultimately leads to the right path to a kinder, gentler America and a kinder, gentler world. And in a day when everybody uh, or many people are convinced that there is no absolute truth, you have your truth and I have my truth. And so who's to say what's right and wrong? And I won't even go into the moral questions right now that are just amazing, that are shocking in how people are redefining everything according to their own lights. Or canceling uh, things. Or canceling things or, or, or you know, I mean, and, and questioning the validity and the value and the good of, of so many things that are part of culture and of, uh, and of Christianity, of religion. That's my response to today's gospel, that we have to, to understand uh, who Jesus is and not try to turn him into this wimpy figure who blesses all the nice things of life, but who makes no demands on us, or who does not, as the revelation of the Father and the validity of all that's been revealed to us in Scripture, and that can even know, be known to a certain extent by our human rationality, by our human intellect. Uh, that is the Jesus that calls us during Lent to repentance. Of course, that's what repent, I mean, Lent is primarily about. Doesn't this also suggest to us that there is a proper place for anger within the course of finding the truth? We have to be very careful about that. I've written articles about it, uh, you know, uh, there was a book written some years ago about uh, uh, something about a bee uh, in your bonnet kind of thing that uh, anger, it used to be that anger uh, was considered to be something uh, to be looked down on, that, that people who were angry were, were looked at askance. And now in our country, anger is looked upon as something good, that people are praised for being angry. And this is not good because anger is, is, uh, is sinful. There is such a thing as righteous anger, such as our Lord uh, exhibited in today's gospel, but we're not our Lord. We have to be very, very careful ab about anger. Yes, to, to, be, to have a righteous indignation or a righteous uh, sense uh, of, of, of uh, wrongdoing or evil, of lying, of cheating, yes. But we have to be very careful that we apply it to the to the sin and not the, the sinner, that the sinner we have to try to uh, call to conversion. So the anger is a two-edged sword that we have to wield very, very, very carefully, lest it, uh, it corrupt us and uh, truly be a sinful uh, thing. What do you make of these words of Scripture, that while Jesus was in Jerusalem for the Passover, seeing the signs that he was doing, many began to believe his name, but here's the clincher. Jesus would not trust himself to them because he knew them all and did not need anyone to testify about human nature. What does that tell you about Jesus? And what does it tell us about human nature? Well, what it tells us about Jesus and about, well, I mean, Jesus being God, is that the, the God alone uh, can read uh, the human heart to its very depths. We cannot even judge ourselves. Uh, only God knows us as we truly are to the very depths. And that is the judgment of God that one day we will all face. That God alone is capable of that knowledge, that vision, that judgment. And Jesus, as the Son of God incarnate, had that, I won't say ability, it was it was who he was that he, that he could exercise this judgment. And you know, what do we say? That he will come again in glory to judge the living and the dead. But we do not have that capability. We can't even really know ourselves completely yet alone try to judge our neighbor. We can, we can make judgments about acts, 
uh, uh, that people do or things, but uh, we have to be, be very careful lest we uh, make a judgment of another person. Archbishop, question for you. Politicians in Hartford are again considering assisted suicide legislation. The Public Health Committee of the Connecticut General Assembly is considering legalizing a form of suicide in our state commonly referred to as aid in dying or physician-assisted suicide with House Bill 6425, an act concerning aid in dying for terminally ill patients. The Connecticut bishops, as well as many other groups, oppose this bill. Why? We oppose it because it is not the solution to the suffering that some people experience when they're near death. You know, the United States bishops have pointed out that uh, once in the past that physician-assisted suicide does not promote compassion because its focus is not on eliminating suffering but on eliminating the patient. Yeah. Uh, and we do have today existing systems greatly, vastly improved of palliative care and hospice care for those who are facing serious and life-threatening illness. Medically, uh, there's no need today uh, for, for a person to suffer uh, terrible pain in their uh, last days, that these things can be uh, controlled. But when you start to say that you can allow people, and by the way, the doctor sometimes wouldn't even be present for this, as I understand it. Uh, the person has to ingest medications, if you can call them that, uh, to kill themselves. This is just a fundamental truth about human life that always has been resisted. Uh, to murder a person or to to commit suicide to take your own life and at a time when uh, suicide among our young people is becoming a huge problem uh, suicides that have nothing to do with uh, end-of-life uh, medical issues are taking place this is not the answer this is not something that should lead people to think that because it's legal it's also moral because that's not true in places where assisted suicide is permitted, there have been increases in, this, in the rates of suicide in general. And this, this takes on its own life, just, just as abortion, which was originally supposed to be something rare, now has become quite common. In Europe, where there's assisted suicide, they now let uh, young people commit suicide. Mm -hmm. uh, they, they perform euthanasia on children, and the controls on it become very problematic. So this is, this is not a, a good... Uh, thing at all uh, for our society. Again, this year, because with COVID, there's no public hearings, decisions being made behind closed doors for the most part. It's very important for people to stand up and be counted. You know, through the Connecticut Catholic Conference, you can go to uh, ctstopsuicide.org and add your name to a petition against assisted suicide, or you can contact directly your state representative or state senator. You know, legislators really do pay attention to the phone calls and letters they get. So I really urge our listeners to do that, ctstopsuicide.org, or even directly call or write your state representative or state senator. And if you go to the Connecticut Catholic Conference website, I think you'll find there a way to find out who exactly your senator or representative in the state might be. Again, that address is ctstopsuicide.org. It, it occurs to me, Archbishop, that for many of the problems that we experience, whatever the problem might be, we want to take the most expeditious way to resolve the problem. If mom or dad has an illness, therefore, let mom or dad commit suicide, and then that's the end of it. What a horrible way for society to react to the suffering of another human being. Yes, well, you know, uh, I'm sure that there are many good intention people 
who think that this is the right thing to do, but I, I have to respectfully say that they are drastically mistaken. This opens up a whole Pandora's box of death uh, in many situations. And to those who dispute that, you have only to look at the places where suicide has been permitted and you see how this blossoms, uh, what Pope St. John Paul said, a culture of death. And that's something that is not a solution to anyone's problem. It's certainly not the solution uh, to pain and suffering. As people of faith in particular, we have to realize that we have to go deeper to understand the meaning of these things and deal with them in a responsible and compassionate way that is, uh, respects human life and respects uh, the God-given meaning uh, of life. Again, the website to learn more about physician-assisted suicide is ctstopsuicide.org. Archbishop, moving ahead and talking about some of the questions that have been submitted by our listeners, we have Patrick from Wallingford who said, My pastor said that during Lent I should be thinking more of how my life is progressing toward the life God wants me to have rather than focusing on what I am giving up. What do you feel about this advice? And what is the purpose of giving things up for Lent anyway? Well, that's a very thoughtful question, Patrick. And, you know, and you know, you notice the way you said it. The pastor didn't say that you shouldn't give up things, but that you don't just give them up for, for its own sake. You have to look at the bigger picture. What is, God, what is God's will for you? What is God asking of you? And uh, the positive thing there is through self-denial, we, uh, and it's been shown even psychologically, not just spiritually, that a certain kind of penance is good for your mind and your body and your soul. And the idea being that it, it's a kind of purification in a way uh, that helps you to focus on the things that are really important. I, I think uh, that that is what your pastor is trying to get at. And, and I do think uh, when you ask what is the purpose of giving things up for Lent, it is this, this sense of, of discipline. We know that even as children, Children would eat, uh, you know, a pound of chocolate if, if they could get away with it, and we know the consequences of that. Uh, we, we realize that there is something very important about restraining ourselves and disciplining ourselves, our appetites for things. That's all part and parcel of what we're trying to do during Lent. Ray from Norfolk says, My wife and I recently started going through a catechism with our four-year-old son. We've had a hard time explaining to him what it means to glorify God. Do you have any advice on how to communicate such a huge concept to young children in a clear way? Well, Ray, I'm very grateful and happy to hear that you're, you're going through a catechism. But for somebody who's four years old, I'm not sure that it's going to be easy uh, to explain glorifying God to a four-year-old. I think the best way you show what it means is by your own example of glorifying God by your prayers, by your church attendance, uh, by speaking about God in very simple ways to a four-year-old, saying that all that we have and all that we are is something that is a gift of God, our Father in heaven. And so we thank him, we praise him, Th little things like that. I think what your four-year-old sees you doing and the way you're speaking and acting than a concept in a, a book. Lucy from West Hartford says, Governor Lamont has said that legalizing marijuana is a top priority of his during his legislative session. What are your thoughts on this? Why have Catholic bishops in other states opposed the legalization of marijuana? Well, because, you know, this kind of substance can lead to a lot of substance abuse. 
I suppose I'm told that marijuana has medicinal values in certain situations. Uh, but when people turn to any kind of thing like alcohol or drugs, it's, it's so prone to abuse. It's prone to abuse by people who use the abuse of it themselves. It also uh, can be abused in trafficking in it. Do we really need another thing like alcohol to calm us down? Or take I, us I just, out of reality. Take us out of reality. I just, you know, I remember reading that in Colorado, where it's been so universally legalized, that there there were mothers uh, giving birth who had to be told that there was marijuana in their newborn infant's system. And the doctors were saying this with some concern. And the mother's response was, well, is there a problem with that? It's legal. In other words, people think that everything that's legal must be perfectly good and acceptable. So it's not only bishops in other states that have opposed the legalization, but it's also uh, here in Connecticut. I'm sure we've already, as bishops, expressed our concerns. And if we haven't, we will. Archbishop, we've come to the end of our time together. Can you close the program with a prayer and a blessing, please? Lord, as we move ever more deeply into the season of Lent, this time of grace that you offer to us to renew and to pledge our change of heart, striving always through deeper repentance uh, deeper self-denial, to come closer to you and to love our neighbor and ourselves more uh, and in, in a way that is uh, deserving and in keeping with your love for us. We ask you to help us to persevere in our resolutions for Lent and to use every opportunity you give us uh, to grow uh, in faith, hope, and love. And may Almighty God bless you in the name of the Father and of the Son and of the Holy Spirit. Amen. Amen. Archbishop, thank you for inviting us into the Archbishop's Corner. We appreciate the time that you spend with us on a Sunday morning and uh, look forward to joining you next Sunday as well. In the meantime, stay healthy all week. Thank you.